morning, good morning. Welcome to Grace. If y'all will stand with us, we're going to sing out together. I had a blast um, singing with y'all uh, last week at Easter. And uh, just one of the coolest things is um, you could just sense that feeling of expectation and, and being ready to celebrate together. Um, and I was just thinking about that, how cool if we could just kind of capture some of that each Sunday and just remember that we're here to celebrate God's goodness together and to join uh, with other people to do that. So uh, let's just sing out together from that. We can definitely use your help clapping if you'd like. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. 
pretty good song for clapping to you, but... Thought your gap, thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought your strength. Thought your gap, thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought your strength. Thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought your strength. Thought your gap, thought your heart. Your soul, your mind, your strength. I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, your strength. I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. scriptures uh, bowing before God as a sign of humility before him, that he is great and that we are small and that we need him. So as Christians, we gather together, we bow our heads, and we'll spend some time uh, confessing our sins before him. Let's pray. Father God, we pray and we ask for your forgiveness because we are a people who have fallen far short of the glory that you've designed us for. Lord, we often leave undone the things that we should do. 
the ways that we should love people, often we love ourselves instead. So we confess that before you. We don't try to hide and pretend that we're something we're not, uh, but we come and we face reality. We confess who we are. You'll spend just a moment confessing the sins that God brings to mind before God. God, you know we could spend all day confessing before you of all the ways that we've fallen short. And your word says that if you kept a record of those misdeeds, those sins, those iniquities, that no one could stand before you. Uh, But we can. We can stand before you, not because our sin doesn't matter, but because you took it on yourself. And you forgave us of our sins by nailing them to the cross with Jesus to set us free. And so, Father, we not only confess that we're sinners and that we've failed, but we confess that you have rescued us from our sin, that you've forgiven us, and that you bring us to yourself. You restore us to relationships so that we can have intimacy with you, we can have a relationship with each other, and we can live a life of usefulness. So Lord, we pray that as we continue to worship, you would continue to transform us and help us to understand your forgiveness and the grace that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. The song called From the Depths of Woe um, just basically talks about the fact that our God can bring us up out of the darkest pit and bring us into the light um, as we cry to Him for help. So you will sing these words with us. Tips of all I raise to
Thing I ask that I 
comes down to just one thing That's to know you, oh Jesus Make you know Sing all my life All my life Comes down to just one thing That's to know you, oh Jesus Make you All my life comes down to just one thing That's to know you, oh Jesus, make you know You'll stay with us as we sing this last song
pray together. God, we pray that you'll just help us to take hold of these truths that we've been singing, God, that you will be our solid rock, that we will trust you alone to uphold us, God. Help us to seek after you, God, to know you and to make you known. Lord, help us to listen to your word now, God, that, that you will change us and make us more like you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Good morning again. Just wanted to remind you one more time, if you have this in your bulletin, does everybody have this? Did you show it to me? Did you wave it around? Did I see it? We got this? Amen? Yes? No, you don't. You're a belligerent crowd. You know that. There we go. That's better. All right. I see who the, uh, the obedient ones are. Seriously, uh, if you don't come tomorrow night, if you can't come tomorrow night, pass this on to a friend to come hear Greg and his testimony and his music. Uh, he's going to do a great job. Celebrate recovery tomorrow night. So make sure you pass that on or, or come yourself. Um, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to there, 2 Timothy 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have some under the chairs. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in page 996. So we've got some black Bibles on the racks there. You could pull that out and look on page 996. Uh, we're not going to be flipping around too much. We're mostly going to be staying there this morning. And we've called our Second Timothy series, Carry On. And what we've been learning in these pastoral letters, which are basically the letter to Titus and then the two letters to Timothy, we've been getting a, a sneak peek into Paul's instructions to Timothy and Titus who were leading churches. And they were pastoring other pastors and setting up new churches and installing new pastors in new churches in, in these cities and these regions. And so Paul is giving them uh, some information on how to lead the church and how the church should run, how the church should operate. So we saw in Titus how to build this new culture, this culture that's based on the truth of God's word. And now in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote. So Paul is dying and it's, and it's these last few things he wants to pass on to Timothy about how to carry on uh, the message of Jesus to the next generation and to the next community. And so that's been kind of the focus, how to, how to carry this on. So we've seen a lot of comments about teaching and, and what good teaching looks like and what false teaching looks like, what good leadership looks like, what bad leadership looks like. And, and this week, Paul's going to use this metaphor. Uh, we've picked tools here for the image because he's talking about being useful, being someone, allowing our life to be used by God as a tool in his hands, as a vessel in his hands, as, as a container uh, for something good. And, and so that's the image that Paul is using to communicate to Timothy that we, we have an option here. We can, we can be used by God for good things or we can waste our life or we can kind of abuse our life and not live up to everything that God has intended for us to have. Uh, we see this choice spelled out throughout the Old Testament in, in this idea of two ways, right? You've, you've probably heard this idea before that there are two paths that you can choose and it's made real stark and real clear in Psalm chapter 1, the beginning of the Psalms, that, that there are two choices, two different directions that you can go. You can be the righteous man who is actually happy, who actually has delight and joy in his righteousness in pursuing God, or you can be the wicked man uh, who's a rebel, who thinks he can do life on his own, who thinks he doesn't need God, and he says that man is like the chaff of the wheat, which is just the husk. It's just the trash that, that blows away. It's, it's a wasted life. And so throughout this passage, Timothy, uh, well, Timothy will be giving or getting instructions from Paul on, on how to, to be useful. 
how to have a life that, that counts. And so not only does this apply to teachers or pastors or leaders of churches, but it applies to all of us as God's people. We, we want to have a life that matters. We want to have a life that, that makes an impact. And we want to be used by God. And so we'll read um, in 2 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse 20. I'm going to read 20 through 26. Please follow with me. Like I said, it's page 996 in those, those few Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So this word for vessel, it can mean a container, it can mean a tool, it can really mean anything that you use for anything. Just a generalized word here. So he's saying you've got vessels, you've got tools, things in your house that you use for uh, honorable use, some for dishonorable. Verse 21 says, Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So that's what we want. We want a life that counts. We want to be useful. So in verse 22, he tells Timothy how. He says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray and ask God to open this up for us. Father, we come this morning. Uh, wanting to learn from your word. I pray that the words that I speak would not be distractions, but that they would just cut straight to the heart of, of what you have to say to us. pray that your spirit would be here with us, opening our eyes and our ears, that we would hear you, that we would continue to humble ourselves under, under your word and, and listen to you and to have a life that counts, that you would use us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I'm sure some of you have, have seen uh, commercials or, or you know, funny scenes in movies where the kid uh, takes the peanut butter sandwich and puts it into the VCR slot. Have you ever seen that before? Um, you know, there, there's this whole concept, this, this whole thing, this kind of repeated theme that happens when you have children of, of tools being used for the wrong purpose. I don't know if that's ever happened to you if you have kids. Uh, I remember in my family a, a big deal... Uh, was the scissors. Uh, growing up, my, my mom had special scissors for the sewing machine. And so for some reason, she would get mad when we would use those special scissors to cut out the construction paper for our project um, or, you know, to cut the dog's hair maybe or, like, if we would take it outside and dig holes in the dirt for some reason. She, she'd get upset when we'd use tools in, in the wrong way and, and mess them up and they wouldn't be used properly. Um, one thing that we had as kids that, that we have now, too, is like the, the dynamic of the two sponges, right? Anybody use two sponges in your house? You have the, the dish sponge, and then you have the floor sponge, right? Y'all, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's kind of like the two towels. You have the decorator towel. Don't touch that towel. And then you have the real towel. Um, and, and so we all understand this distinction that Paul is talking about here. You know, there are these different tools that are used for different purposes. And Paul is saying you actually have a choice. You have a choice of which one you're going to be. If you're going to be useful or if you're going to not be useful. If you're going to be messed up and thrown away or if you're going to be the one that's, that's used for special purposes. And he says you have to cleanse yourself. And throughout Scripture, it's interesting because throughout Scripture, it's clear that the way we're ultimately cleansed from our sins is by faith in what Christ has done for us. Right? That, that our sins have been nailed on the cross with Jesus. And when we trust in that, that 
ultimately cleanses us. But Paul says there is this ongoing work of continuing to trust in that and continuing to take our faith out of these old things that entrap us and continue to put our faith, continue to put our trust in Jesus and to continue to follow him and, and re-cleanse ourselves and, and continue to set ourselves aside for, for holy use, to be useful to the master. At, at springtime, I remember as, you know, as the sun's coming out, I'm getting a sunburn, it's reminding me of growing up and every year having to get the lawnmower out and get it kind of retooled for the summer. Because every year you would have to uh, start mowing the lawn again, you know, when it gets warm in, in February here. But, you know, at, at some point, whenever it starts getting warm and the grass starts growing again, you have to pull out the lawnmower. Every year I'd pull it out, put gas in it, and try to start it. But it just, it never would just start right up. I would have to clean it out. Uh, specifically, there was an air filter in, in our lawnmower, and the lawnmower I have now seems to work a little better. But the one back then, every year I'd have to clean out that air filter. There was so much gunk that had built up in that air filter that, that the air couldn't get in. It couldn't, you know, mix and make the right explosions in the carburetor and make the lawnmower go. So every year I'd have to re-cleanse it. And it was this ongoing work that I had to do every year. And, and that's kind of what Paul is talking about here with Timothy. Is he's continue to watch yourself. Continue to set yourself aside to be used by God. Cleanse this bad stuff out so that God can use you for his purposes. And the first thing that we see is, as Paul goes through these instructions is the first thing that Timothy's told to do is to pursue righteousness. He's, he's told, first, pursue righteousness. As you're cleansing yourself, flee, run away from this bad stuff, and run to Jesus. Run to God. Pursue him. Pursue his righteousness. And it says it in verse 22 like this. It starts with a negative. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So Paul's making it very clear, Timothy, you're going to have to continue to run away from, from the snare, from the traps of these uh, youthful passions, these lusts of youth. You're going to have to continue to run away from those things. And, and this word for passion, it's this word that's used a lot of times in the New Testament for lust. Uh, sometimes it's translated sinful desire. Sometimes it says a covetousness, which is that Old Testament word for coveting, you know, longing for something that's not yours. Um, and, and the idea is it's literally over-desire. This Greek word is literally over-desire. You know, we all have good desires for good things. We have desires for food, but food can become an idol. And it can become this, this overpowering passion that controls us. Then it can become another god. Or, or we can have a desire for success in life and, and hard work, and that can become an idol. It becomes our god, and it becomes everything to us. A, a good desire, healthy desire for good relationships. And then that can become overpowering and become an over-desire that that just captures our life and we can't do anything else unless it lines up with that God now of, of relationship or that God of success or that God of stability or whatever it may be that's become an over-desire in our life. And Timothy is told to, to be careful about the, the particular over-desires of youth. And there's two in particular that I think come up again and again for young people, especially as he's talking to Timothy in context of these false teachers. And one is simply just the lust of the flesh, the, the over-desire for comfort, and pleasure. And, and Timothy's told to, to run away from those, those lusts, those over-desires of youth, to flee from those, because they're going to they're gonna kill him. They're, they're going to make him so that he's not useful to God. Um, and, and I want to encourage us that, that that's something that we have to deal with too. And I think at the root of the problem that, that so many men have with pornography and with lust specifically is that they don't realize that it's killing them. They don't realize that it's killing those that they love. 
And so that's just the appeal that I want to make is, is it, it may seem like a wonderful thing. And God has built these, these natural desires into our life, but he's also given us his ways of satisfying those desires. And if we allow him to remain God and not make our desires into God, then we'll have a healthy life. But, but if we allow those things to become gods themselves, it, it will kill us. And I think that's where most men have to come to is understanding that it, that it really is something that's, that's hurting you. That it's something you need to run away from. That the word is flee. Run for your life. You have to be afraid of it. You have to have a healthy fear knowing that this can kill you. The, the other thing that I think is a real common problem for, for young men and, and leaders like Timothy is, is arrogance. And specifically, I think that because of the context here, because he keeps talking about these false teachers that want the following, that want to impress people with their words, and then want just a bunch of people to follow them, but they're really, they really don't care about the people they're teaching. They really don't care about the truth. They really don't care about Jesus. They just want a crowd to follow them. And that comes up again and again and, and throughout the New Testament about these false teachers that just want to be first, that are zealous not for the Lord, but zealous that people will follow them, Paul talks about in, in Galatians. And so I think that's another uh, youthful passion that Timothy is going to have to be careful of, that he's going to have to run away from. Uh, as I've had opportunity to train a lot of young men in ministry and work in youth ministry, I often would talk about cocky young single man's disease. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I don't know if they have a version of this in the Army. Um, but this is like the young guy that has studied a lot of things and thinks he kind of knows everything and, and always wants to critique and, and criticize those that are, that are in power or have authority over them. And that's something you just have to really be careful of when you're young. Um, that your job when you're young is to jump in and play the game. It's, it's not to stand on the sidelines critiquing everybody and, and talking about how everybody did everything wrong. And, and so I would, I would challenge you, especially if you're young, is, is to get involved, is to begin practicing your faith, not just warring with words as he talks about these false teachers in previous chapters and then he's going to talk later on in the next section about you know, those that are quarreling all the time and fighting with their words and debating everything. Get in the game and participate. And he says explicitly, the way you do that is you pursue righteousness. Begin living rightly. Be a man of, of compassion and justice and mercy. He says pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love and peace. Be a peacemaker. Be someone who loves others. Be someone who's about others' good instead of your own good. And that's how you begin to pursue righteousness and begin to run away and flee for your life from these youthful passions. The last thing that he says is that that you need community. He says, do this with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he's using that, that word again, pure, pure heart, which is the same word we had earlier about cleansing yourself, cleansing and purifying yourself. The, the same group of people, we, we call them Christians, we call them believers, people who are seeking the Lord, who are seeking to be free from their sins and the things that have drug us down in the past, and seeking to walk in freedom with Christ. Join with others who have that same desire so that you can pursue righteousness in community. And that's something that we hit again and again, that, that you can't do it on your own. You can't practice Christianity by yourself. It's not a spectator sport where you just come listen to a sermon or you listen to a podcast or you read things in a book. It's, it's important to study. It's important to learn. But you have to practice these things in community. You have to love other people and lock arms and partner with other people. And don't continue to divide yourself from others. And so Paul's laying out the standard of what it should look like if you're going to be someone who is pursuing God, who is walking with God, that you'd be living in community, that you'd be pursuing righteousness, that you'd be fleeing from these, these passions and these lusts of youth. I was thinking about uh, 
just this idea of just kind of reckless abandon in our pursuit of God. And, and what I thought of was our dogs. We just got some dogs. That's not my dog, but that's, that's a dog chasing a rabbit. And, and I was thinking about when I take my dogs for a walk, they already kind of pull me down the street anyway. You know, they're like five-month-old puppies. And, and if I walk both of them at the same time, they're just, they're just dragging me down the street. Uh, but then they just really turn on the speed when they see a bird or a squirrel or a cat or a, a rabbit. I don't think they've ever seen a rabbit before. But, you know, if they see something, then they, they go into hot pursuit. This is, it's like a hunting word here. They, they just go after it. And my shoulder gets jerked out of socket. And, you know, the leash goes this way where all of a sudden they see something and they pursue it. And that's, that's the kind of language that Paul is using here for our spiritual life. It's not this withdrawn kind of subdued concept, but it's we're, we're actively pursuing God. We're pursuing righteousness. We're, we're trying to do the right things. We're running away. We're running for our life from these sins that, that kill us that beat us up and we're pursuing faith, we're pursuing love, we're pursuing uh, this life of, of peace with others who are also trying to pursue these things. So my challenge to you, there's a very specific application that, that you could do is you could begin to, to join in community with other Christians. We talk all the time about the gold insert in our bulletin that lists community groups that you can join. But, but I want to make clear, you could join one of those community groups and still keep people at a distance. You can still avoid community. So, so those, those groups, the program is not the cure. The, the issue is your heart. And so I want to challenge you at a heart level. Are you going to allow people to enter into community with you? You may need to, to start your own group in your own home. You may need to join one of the groups that we already have going on. Uh, you may need to engage in better community with the family that God's given you or the people that you work with. But, but are you open to engaging with others, to engage in community with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart? Will you pursue righteousness together? It's not just community, but it's, it's missional community with the purpose of pursuing righteousness and, and faith and love and peace and these things. So I want to challenge you to, to just evaluate your own life. Ask those questions. Am I engaged? Am I pursuing these things? Or am I just kind of coasting along? Because if you're coasting, you're not fleeing those youthful passions. If you're coasting, you're not pursuing righteousness. He calls us to actively pursue, to chase after him. The next thing that we see, as Paul explains to Timothy what this is supposed to look like, is that he should teach with kindness. He should teach with kindness. Another contrast is that the false teachers are always fighting. They're always quarreling. And there's always this bickering that's going on. He says in verse 23 through 25, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Again, I want to make it clear, he is in context talking mostly about teachers in the church. But again and again, the Bible makes it clear that all of God's people are to represent him. You may not be gifted as a teacher per se in the church, as a leader who who is teaching others, but we're all teaching someone. We're all teaching someone about who God is with our life. In both the Old Testament and again in 1 Peter, he says that God's people are a kingdom of priests, that, that that's our design. He had special priests that did the specific priest tasks, but he said the whole kingdom should be priests. And it's the same way in the church in the New Testament. We are all God's people. We are all his representatives. And so we have this task before us to teach others. So whether you're called to be a teacher in an official capacity in the church, like a Sunday school teacher or a preacher, or uh, you're a Christian with different gifts, we're all still called to teach. And he says that we should be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. 
having nothing to do with these foolish arguments, these controversies, not being quarrelsome. Often Christians are just known for, for fighting, right? Often we're just known for fighting over the truth. And we should be willing to draw lines. We should, we should be willing to stand for the truth, but that shouldn't be all we're known for. When you, when you step over that line and to that's what you're known for, you begin to lose the truth. One of the things that they drilled into my head when I was at Covenant Seminary is that we were not just trying to learn the message, but also the manner of Jesus and to understand how he engaged people and that how you communicate the truth says a lot about the truth that you're trying to communicate. And so if you have truth that's correct on paper, but you're always fighting, you're always quarreling, you're always bickering, you're always debating everything, that something's being lost in the translation. You begin to lose the reality of the grace that God has for us. An almighty God who is absolutely holy. The Bible says his wrath is poured out against our sin. But it also says the way he's ultimately revealed to us is through grace. It's through giving himself for us. It is crossing that bridge and paying the price of our sin. So we need to be careful about the manner in which we display. I found a picture here of fencing. Anyone here do fencing? Um, fencing is interesting because like a lot of, a lot of sport, a lot of martial arts um, are basically what we've done is we've taken real fighting and uh, then we train to be good fighters and then we kind of turn it into a game to where there, you, know, you eliminate all danger whatsoever and it's, it's just kind of a sport for fun now. And, and that's kind of what the false teachers are like and that's nothing against fencing. Fencing's fine if you're doing that for a workout. That, that's fine. Uh, but, but if you're like these false teachers that Paul's talking about, and you're just fighting and sparring with words just for fun, um, just to draw a crowd, just to impress people, just to show people what you know, that, that's very dangerous. And you're crossing a line. That, that's not how we should handle the truth of God's word. And so it may be fine to take debate class and learn to debate things and work on those skills. It may be fine to, you know, to practice a martial art or to fight you know, in some sport-like way. But, but Paul's saying, but, but with the gospel, that, that's not how we handle the gospel. It's not a game. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes I find myself slipping into that kind of usage. I mean, it, it, it's real easy if you've gone to seminary. I know all these $20 words, and, and it's easy. I can be kind of debating something at, at a real basic level with someone, and we're kind of just talking, and we're, we're just helping each other grow in our faith. And, and sometimes I can find myself, though, walking over that line where, where I just want to win the argument, you know. I just want to make them look stupid. I just want to drop some of the big words and some of the theology stuff I've learned. And, well, you know, the Greek this and the Hebrew that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and all of a sudden I've crossed over that line. And Paul's saying, they're, they're these false teachers. They just live there. And they're just trying to show off what they know. And they're just trying to win an argument. And they're just trying to fight. And they're just creating controversies. He says, stay away from that. Don't, don't become that, Timothy. But, but contain that and make sure that you're about the gospel and the good news of Jesus so that you're communicating not just the right message, but you're communicating that message in the right manner, that you're kind to everyone, that you're able to teach with kindness, gently correcting your opponents. And I just want us to think about as we, as we try to apply this ourselves, what, what are the triggers? Do you know what those triggers are for you? What, what are triggers that maybe push you into becoming quarrelsome instead of just trying to engage someone at, at the level of, of truth and, and loving them and what you're communicating? What, what might those triggers be? Because we all have those, those hot spots, right? Those, those things that kind of push us over the line, and all of a sudden it's not really about the truth anymore. Now it's just about winning the argument, right? I think we all, maybe it's just me, I don't know. Y'all are staring at me like, no, Dave, that's just you. Well, 
You can pray for me then. Um, but there may be a few of you out there that struggle with that too. There may be this, this line where you begin to say, you know, I don't care about this person. I just want to make them look stupid and win the argument. And Paul says that's, that's the line you're crossing into becoming a false teacher, someone that's leading people not to Jesus but away from Jesus. As we looked at a few weeks ago, that, that this idea of rightly handling or rightly dividing the Word of God, being able to teach truthfully, is, is cutting a straight path. It's clearing a path to Jesus so people can see him. In other words, not adding more difficulties and adding more confusion to impress people. The last thing that we see Paul instruct Timothy about is that we should maintain a hope for repentance. And this is kind of where he concludes. This is kind of the whole point. If you're going to be a tool or a vessel or something that the master is going to be able to use, the whole point is, is for his glory and his grace and for people to be saved and find hope in Jesus. And that's, that's where it's all going. That We should maintain this hope for repentance. Picking back up in 25, he says, we're, we're correcting opponents with gentleness. And then he starts a new sentence and says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This word snare is just the same word for like a little trap for a bird or for a, a rabbit or, you know, if you're catching something and going hunting. And he's saying these people have been ensnared. They, they've been caught in this trap, in this web of lies that the devil has been communicating. You know, we, we think a lot of times of the devil in like cartoonish ways, right, or maybe in horror movie ways. But, but really, the, the most consistent way we should understand the devil is, is the one that lies. The one that lies about who God is. He's the one that says, just like in the garden, surely you won't die. You can do life on your own. You don't need God. You, you can walk away. You can do it on your own strength. You can do it on your own power. That's, that's really the, the work of the devil, is, is opposing the truth of God. And Paul is saying, Timothy, remember, these guys are in a trap. They've, they're stuck in this web of lies that they're living in. And, and remain hopeful that God will grant them repentance. We'll, we'll rescue them. We'll take them out of the of this snare. You know, when he was talking to Titus in the book of Titus, he kept saying the church's job is to, to set up this alternative culture that's actually based on truth. That's actually based on the grace of who God is. That he loves us and that, that we will find joy in relationship with him. And that it's not, the answer to joy is not rebelling against God, but it's actually repenting and turning back to him. And that's the place of joy and, and delight. And we have to remember that God is ultimately the one who sets people free here. It's real interesting the language he uses here. He's, he's talking about methods, and that's kind of what we saw last week, that we preach the right message, and we preach it in the right manner, you know, with a manner of grace as well as a message of grace. And then he says in this section, but it's God who may then grant repentance. We can't force people to turn and, and trust in God. We just communicate the truth, and we communicate the, the truth in kindness and in gentleness. And we correct people when, when they're wrong, but we, we're trying to love people and help them to see the truth of who God is. He says, God may grant repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. And that's the goal. We, I found this picture of uh, Tumnus. Any of y'all are uh, Narnia fans? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Have you seen that movie? A lot of you haven't, so now I look like a real nerd. Um, this is this weird fantasy book. There we go in the back. Thank you. Um, it's this fantasy story. So here's this funny creature uh, that gets frozen as a statue by the White Witch. And one of the great scenes of the movie is in the end of the movie or in the end of the book where Aslan, who is this, this lion who 
uh, is loving everyone and leading everyone. So he's this kind of representation of Jesus in the story. He goes and he breathes on them and roars on them and, and it, it brings them back to life. It melts them. So they're no longer trapped as these frozen statues. And that's kind of the image that we have here of, of God setting people free. They're in this snare. We've been caught like a little rabbit or a bird in a cage, caught in this web of lies. And God rescues us through the truth, through having an understanding of, of who God is and what he has done for us, that he gave himself to save us, that, that God is holy and, and he cannot tolerate our sin, but he gave his son Jesus to take our sin upon himself and to die for us. There's two real strong applications I want us to, to maintain with this one. Uh, the first one is that you would maintain hope for those who you think are hopeless. As those who already know the truth, that we would continue to, to keep up hope for those that we think are outside the bounds. Uh, there may be people in your life that, that you don't really pray for because you think they're too far gone. You, just, you don't think they'll get the truth. And I want to challenge you to pray for those people and, and remain hopeful that God will set them free. They may be friends of yours or family members of yours that, that need to know the truth and need to be set free from, from the snare that they're in, from whatever addiction, whatever sin they may be trapped by. And continue to pray for them. Keep up hope. There, there may be people that, that you don't like, and so you don't pray for them because you just don't like them anyway, right? They just bug you. I mean, here Paul is talking about opponents, these guys that are fighting against Timothy, that are making his life miserable. And, and Timothy is saying... Or Paul is saying, Timothy, don't just go ballistic on them and fight fire with fire, but continue to patiently endure evil, he said in the previous section, and to teach kindly and patiently because God may grant them repentance. God may turn their hearts around. So even if they're your opponents, you don't gloat over them getting deeper and deeper into the trap, but you pray that God would set them free. And you seek to show kindness to them and show the grace to them that God showed to us. And that's the last application, is some of you still are ensnared. And you believe that it's, it's all about saving yourself. And you've tried to save yourself through these other idols, these other desires, desires for, for success or for comfort or for popularity or for respect or whatever it may be. And you've, you've tried to find salvation in those things, but you've found that you're now caught in a snare. And it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to change your mind. That's what repentance means. A lot of times we mix up the words repentance and penance. Penance is kind of a traditional religious word that means doing good deeds to make up for the bad deeds, right? It's more of a karma kind of concept. But repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is, is looking at your life and going, this is not getting me anywhere. And turning your heart, literally it means a turn of heart or a turn of mind. And turning to Jesus and saying, he's, he's my only option. He's my only hope. That's what repentance means, is realizing that you're, you've hit rock bottom and turning to God and asking Him to save you. Some of you are in that spot. And all I have to do is ask. And, and there are lies continually being spoken in your mind. You may be telling yourself that, no, I'm too far gone. No, I've done too much. God can't forgive me for this, but God does and He will. That is why His Son died on the cross, to take all of our sins upon Him. That there's nothing that, that He can't forgive. There's nothing that He won't forgive. He just wants you to change your heart and turn and, and ask for him to forgive you. So some of you are in that place. You have maybe a wrong picture of God. Romans 5.8 says that, that God ultimately displayed, demonstrated, showed us who he was in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say, after you cleaned up your life, Christ died for you. Or after you joined the right club, 
Christ died for you. It says he showed, he showed who he was to us in this. He demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners. All of us are sinners. We need him to forgive our sins, and he will set us free and then use us for his glory. Because that's the goal, that, that we wouldn't just have a life that's saved from eternal damnation, but a life that's saved from, from just a waste now. God wants to use us for his glory. He wants you to, to do your job for his glory, to love your family for his glory, to do your art for his glory, to use the gifts that he's given you, to honor him. He wants to use you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for saving us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would turn to you in hope that we would recognize that we cannot do it on our own, but we need you to transform us. pray that you would make us new, that you would empower us to pursue you, to flee from the sins that weigh us down, and to pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with others that are also pursuing you from a pure heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Y'all will stand with us as we sing this last song. Such a great song just talking about being single-minded in our pursuit of God. Sing these words with us.
thank you for pursuing us and I pray that we would chase after you, that we would pursue you and we would have a life that could be used for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name.